Oh, mercy me. I'm, you know, you would hope that I would cool off real quick because it's like <laughs> October. It's the middle of October. But no, I just got out of the shower. So the heat, because I take hot showers. I broil myself. <laughs> Actually, hang I think on, you steam my, yourself. <laughs> my blinds are open, so I think I'm getting ambient heat in here too. And maybe that's an issue. One moment. <laughs> okay. Yeah? All better? Yes. Or maybe not all well, better, we, but better. We'll find out. We'll, we'll discover. <laughs> you know, cloak the whole room in darkness so that I'm not baking. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a reason that I have blackout curtains on the bedroom windows in my apartment. Right. I mean, the answer is because there's lights that are directly outside my window. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the blackout part is needed, but the heat-reducing effects are also welcome. I'm just grabbing the newts. Got the newts. Oh, you're good. I got my notes too. We're all good. We I don't know. Do we have anything else to vamp about before we just get into it? Uh, can I can I briefly tell you about my uh, experience at the Renaissance Fair yesterday? Absolutely, I would love to hear about the Renaissance Fair. Overall, it was a lot of fun. My friends and I go. Generally speaking, we go every year. Usually, only like once a year. But we have a pretty large Renaissance festival in our area. Like it's large enough that they have a. It is a permanent village. Like, the buildings are there year-round, which is pretty cool. That is very rad. It is. And, like, in the wintertime, they are apparently making it into a Christmas wonderland with, like, lights displays and everything now. I would be really curious to see how they will dress up the giant cast iron dragon sculpture. Fascinating. Yeah, I look forward to seeing it. But the coolest parts were that in the... Because, like, they do, like, jousts a couple of times every day. And we went to the first joust so that we could, you know, get out of there relatively early. And in the jousting, the reins for one of the horses just, like, snapped at the bridle. Uh-oh. So the knight, whose, the knight whose horse's reins, like, snapped just did, like, two rounds of jousting without reins. <laughs> Which was like, whoa! Yeah. <laughs> Because, like, last year we saw someone, like, actually get unhorsed, which was cool and concerning. It was concerning until the knight in question, you know, like, stood up and showed that he was okay. And this mm-hmm. year it's like, wow, someone's reins broke in the middle of the jousting process. What's going to happen next year? <laughs> but also it was really cool because they have archery butts where you can pay for, you know, like... Hey, pay and get some arrows to shoot at the target. And while I was taking my turn, there was a young kid who came up next to me and she was clearly like, you're like, hey, this is my first time doing it. And parents were standing there and not really like helping or anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, okay, here's what you need to do. Like, like get a, like take a wide stance, like feet about like shoulder width apart, like keep your upper body like straight and like face the same way. And then you got to like, you know, like turn like, pull the arrow back as far as you can comfortably, like, about eye level. And, like, keep your arms straight. And she wasn't doing, like, great, but I think she was <laughs> learning, and I was happy to help. And plus, hey, get more kids into archery. Also, it was, uh, it was costume weekend, and there was someone walking around the Renaissance Festival in just full Wolverine cosplay. <laughs> <laughs> like, the bright yellow and blue. <laughs> I was going to ask, is not every weekend at the, every day at the Renaissance Festival cosplay day, but I guess specific. Yeah, this was specifically like, hey, wear your, wear your favorite Halloween costume weekend. So like, there was that, there was that person dressed up as Wolverine. There was 
like a whole family in like Spider-Verse onesies, which was incredible. And oh gosh, what else? Who were the cool costumes? Oh, there are some of there who was dressed as like a biblically accurate, like angelic warrior of the Lord. Oh, hell yeah. With like a giant, like angel wing, feathery, like headpiece and like multiple eyes drawn on the face and like gauntlets and like a gambeson and everything. And it was like, that is a super cool costume. That is very cool. I'm trying to figure out if I want to do a super low maintenance costume for Halloween. My two ideas both involve just getting a name tag and slapping it on instead of my normal name tag at work. Mm. So I would either be Stephen Stills from Scott Pilgrim, and I'd put put the name tag on, just say Stephen Stills, and then underneath, smaller in brackets, it would just say the talent. (laughs) And then my other idea is that I would go as Oz from Buffy, who went as God on Halloween, where he just had a name tag on that just said God. (laughs) My favorite low effort Halloween costume is always to dress up as my as a boss. <laughs> Last year I was my <laughs> boss and it was fun cuz she is very gothic. And so I was like, cool, let me just get out all of my all of my black clothing and I'll wear my skirt that has crystal swords on it and I'll do a lot of eyeliner. You know, I bet I could go as one of my managers. Do it. I could. I'm trying to think because either I'd have to get for one of them, I'd have to get glasses and a green polo that fits me, because it seems like he only ever wears a green polo. Mm-hmm. And then the other one might be a little extra effort, because he's the one who's like, his baby right now is the retro candy display, that he, shout out to this boss, he is almost always the person who is restocking it. He's basically only ever getting other people to staff the, or to stock the retro candy display if he is not actually in the building that day. Almost always it's him filling the shelves up, and so kudos to him for doing work. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, the only way people would know that I was dressing up as him is if, like, I carried around a big bin of retro candy and also had a speaker that was constantly displaying the song Candyman. Uh, Tanner, I think you should do it. <laughs> I, no, I can't because I'd probably lose my mind listening to Candyman that many times. So let's listen to some different songs. <laughs> like this theme song right here. Children, it's time to play. Earth and sky and sky is ground. Did we finally leave our town? Hello and welcome to Loser Like Me, a show that normally is about a recap of Glee and its associated shows, but uh, we're not talking about that right now, partially to show solidarity with the ongoing um, SAG After Strike. Uh, congratulations, WGN, winning theirs, and now we just gotta power through Sagaftra. Mm-hmm. The other reason we're not recapping Glee, though, is because tragically everyone has died. That's right, at uh, 6... <laughs> it, <laughs> I was waiting for a response. At 6.19pm, they all boarded the Cyclone, and then it... Uh, it oh, they boarded at 6.17, then at 6.19, the, the, the roller coaster broke, and they all went hurtling through the air, and they died. The end. Podcast <laughs> over. <laughs> No, no, okay. So what we're actually doing is... Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm Tanner. Hi. Hi, I'm Tanner. I'm from Saskatchewan. 
I'm Christina. I'm not from Saskatchewan. <laughs> we can tell. Christina, why do you call a hoodie with no zipper? A sweatshirt. Ah, wrong. That's a bunny hug. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, today, <laughs> today we are discussing the musical Ride the Cyclone from a variety of years. This thing has been like in production and being workshops since like 2011, I think. It still hasn't hit Broadway. Yeah, it did make it to not off a Broadway. <laughs> yeah, it's not a dig. It's just to let y'all know that like it takes a long time for a musical to like calcify. Yeah, and I. I'm I'm going to preface this by saying that obviously Tanner is the one who brought this to our attention and suggested watching it for this podcast. And I am just, I, I am Christina, and I am just here to say, Tanner, how the fuck did you find out about this? And why, why, why were you fixated on it? So I wasn't even fixated on it. It just seemed like a thing to do, because apparently it's been getting really big on TikTok with like people sharing clips of it and whatnot. And I heard about that. I didn't even see any videos. I just heard about that. And then that activated like a synapse in my brain. And I remembered a while back, um, there was a Drawfee episode where they were drawing musicals they'd never heard of. And one of them was Ride the Cyclone. And then that activated another synapse where I think it was in the Mean Girls episode or the Mean Girls video that she did. Sarah Zed uh, brought up some other musicals that are popular with the teens. And then... Uh, she That's where she described it as a reverse cats. And then shortly before I suggested it, I was in a chat with my friends Ryan and Lindsay, and Ryan mentioned that he, some of his friends were watching the musical, and he didn't care for it from what he had heard. And Lindsay looks up up, and she was like, oh, cool, let's set in Uranium City, Saskatchewan. And I was like, oh, neat. Uh, and then I immediately forgot about that. But then when we were like, um, what should we watch next week since we don't have th- something planned ahead of time? I was like, fucking all right, the cyclone. Yeah. So there was um, no forethought to this. My brain just kind of spat it out. That, yeah, that tracks. <laughs> I had the Wikipedia page pulled up for like reference as I was watching the musical and taking my notes. And they have an entire section on the Wikipedia page dedicated to the virality of the song Ride the Cyclone. Because apparently last year, the song The Ballad of Jane Doe went viral on TikTok to the point where like... I guess how, like, when the musical theater side of TikTok did back in, like, 2020, when everyone was like, let's crowdsource a Ratatouille musical, everyone just started, like, posting all their headcanons about, like, excuse me, about, like, backstory for all of these characters. And I I don't think this musical is for me, but that doesn't mean it doesn't Aww. have value. <laughs> Damn, I can't believe you're saying that every story doesn't have a meaning. <laughs> I, look, I think that just because something might not be, like, just because I personally am not, like, enthusiastically overjoyed with a musical doesn't mean that it doesn't have value. Like, it does. No, yeah, I get that. I'm just like, yeah, like, this is a musical. I would not pay money to see a production of this in person, but I can appreciate the craft and I can appreciate the weirdest fuck story that the playwright and the uh and the lyricist and the uh musician were all telling does did that make sense (laughs) that made perfect sense um there's also wikipedia section on controversies and if you go to directly to the uh the fandom wiki there is a bigger page for controversies Uh uh-oh uh which we'll we will get to as they come up 
I don't know. Should I should I describe what it's about, or should we just dive right in, and the viewers who aren't familiar will find out along the way? I I feel like we should just jump into like the recap. Okay, let me grab my notes. There you are. Okay, so we start off with a girl who's got no head. Yes, and the girl who has no head sings a sings a song about like spinning and life cycles, kind of. You know this dream of life; it's never ending. It goes round and round and round and round. That's the song. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much just the song. <laughs> it's like, oh, wheels are cycles and tornadoes are cycles and cyclones are cycle cyclones are cycles. <laughs> Recycling this music. Yeah. <laughs> and then we just like get lights up on this like this discount fortune telling carnival machine. It's like you know you know the movie, Big. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the thing from that. It's Zoltar. Yeah. Except it's Karnak. Yeah, this one is called The Amazing Karnak, who is a precognition machine who is also sentient and is capable of predicting everyone's death, including his own. And Karnak mentions that, like, his, like, oh, I also know when I will die, and I am going to die in about an hour and a half because... This rat who lives in the warehouse that I have been stored in is named Virgil. Or I named the rat Virgil. And Virgil the rat is going to chew through the power lines that connect me to the electrical socket. 200 volts will course through Virgil's body, killing him and me in the same instant. Yes. And as there is nothing more bass than death, for tonight's entertainment, Virgil shall play the bass. (laughs) And then we've got this, like, a Chuck E. Cheese rat mascot comes out with a leather jacket and a bass guitar and does some riffs. Yeah. In the super legit version, probably, that we watched, Karnak also stresses that the armrest to your left is yours. The one to your right is your neighbor's. If you believe they are both yours, you are part of the problem. Yeah, and like, I thought the the pre-show speech was kind of fun, but also kind of like, okay, weird to have the pre-show speech be given, like, after... The, the first number has already been sung, but you know what? I like, mean, it's, it's not it's not the first, I mean, it is the first number, but it's just like, a, it's a prologue. It's not a full number. Yeah. Also, you know, I don't know how often you see like stage shows, but I'm sure you've noticed that A lot less than I did before humor. 2020. <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah, true. But like, in general, you're when you're watching a stage show, a show that was made for the stage, they love meta humor. Yes, this is known. Karnak also says, please turn off your phones. None of the calls will have life or death consequences. Looks down at his crystal ball. <laughs> Except for one. My condolences. Accidents happen. <laughs> Anyways, this brings us to our first note of controversy. <laughs> which is that in the 2019 Jungle Theater production of Ride the Cyclone, an early costume design for Jim Licksteidel's Lich- Karnak had him with his skin slightly darkened with a beard and turban to make him look more Middle Eastern, playing into ethnic stereotypes. Altering Yikes. the color of a person's skin so that they appear to be a different race is generally considered racist. Is considered racist. You can take out the quantifier I mean, there, fandom wiki. The, no, I'm, I feel like they gotta use a passive voice there, and I just appreciate the passive voice used for good this time. Yeah, fair. It adds a certain level of snark to the comment. Like, as you know, many people agree. This is a bad idea, yeah. you fool. Yeah. Anyways, Karnak announces that tonight they will be discussing 16's The Former St. Cassian Chamber Choir. 
On Monday, September 14th, they boarded the Cyclone roller coaster. Minutes later, the roller coaster's front axle would break, causing it to derail at the apex of the loop-de-loop, hurtling the children to their deaths. Ah! Six teens robbed of their individuality amongst a mass tragedy, lumped together as our six saints. And then he goes on to explain that they had all visited him before, and because he was not able to actually tell them their, like, future deaths, because he was set to family fun novelty mode, mm-hmm. all he could tell them was, like, marketing schemes for the the really cheap fair gun that he's a part of, and he, he even told them to ride the cyclone. Yeah. We, we do zoom in, like, an hour prior to that, where they participated in a singing competition in their hometown of Uranium City, Saskatchewan. Yes. Is Uranium City a real, like... A real town? A real place? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> the Wikipedia page for it makes it look like Silent Hill. And as of 2016, it has a total population of 73. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. I hope that the folks of Uranium City are still getting the support they need from the government. <laughs> I hope that they enjoy the musical. Yeah, that's true. Because I'm, like, I'm guessing that the playwright is probably from Uranium City. I don't know. Um, I believe he is, at least in, from Canada. Mm-hmm. But also, he doesn't even have a Wikipedia page, so who knows? It's a mystery. Mm-hmm. Anyway, like, we get a brief kind of, like, introduction to the kids in the choir, of which there are only five on stage at the time. And hmm. we, and, like, one of the one of the two girls in the choir, like, steps up and does the introduction. And I'm like, oh, she sounds like Rachel Berry. <laughs> She's so Rachel Berry coded, you guys. She is very Rachel Berry coded. And like, this is apparently a choral competition and she has a brief monologue about how like, we are so happy to be here competing at the choral festival. We were here last year and we came in second. And Karnak chimes in and says, they were the only only choir performing at the festival last year. And she's like, wow, we're all losers. This just shows the high standard of excellence at Kiwanis. Even in competition against yourself, you can still walk away a loser. Yeah. And then they sing a very... She's like, and now our director brother... Catholic, Catholic, Catholic. (laughs) Has written a song for us based on African rhythm, rhythmic music inspired by the Lion King. And... It's it's not... (laughs) It is emphatically not. It is an incredibly generic song about a fall fair. And as they are singing, the turntable they're standing on rotates. Yeah, because before before they were all like backs to the audience and like behind a translucent curtain. And then as it rotates, they kind of like through the curtain to face the audience. Mm-hmm. And is this the point where they, where I think Karnak is like, anyway, these kids are dead, but somehow one of their stories might end differently. And tonight we raise a middle finger to the most ruthless adjudicator, Time. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Partway through the song, they are launched off the roller coaster, where the suite changes. You're sailing through space. You don't know up from down. And you feel a little strange from all that's been round. And it takes on a decidedly more ominous thing because, you know, they're seeing as they're about to die. Yeah. Earlier, like, before they joined, or before they boarded the Cyclone, there's a lyric of, like, we will stay in this town, or where, where is it? We will never leave this town at all. And then the lyric changes in the second half to, we will never leave this town alive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Karnak announces that it's time to start the game. Yeah. Also, quick quick rundown of the characters as we quickly see them. There's a very mm-hmm. Rachel Berry-coded girl. There's a very Tracy Turnblad-coded girl. There's uh-huh. an obvious homosexual. 
there's uh-huh. a, a gangster boy, and there's a boy in the arm crutches. Yes. Also, you you will notice that in the first in the uranium suite, the boy in the arm crutches doesn't sing. But shortly after they arrive in Karnak's limbo or whatever, mm-hmm. they're like, "Where are we?" And mm-hmm. the boy goes, "The Twilight Zone." And then it was like, oh, "Ricky, mm-hmm. you can talk." Wow, badass. Yeah, and this is where like, uh, like after we like, they'll get introduced to Karnak's purgatory. He tells them like, "Oh, let's play a game," and there are various prizes such as. Expired candy and a Hello Kitty cupcake and so a third thing that I forget. A stale pack of menthol cools, a succulent Hello Kitty cupcake, a limited edition Iron Maiden t-shirt, still ripe with the pong of the carny who wore it. And then I think it's the lead, the, the Rachel Berry coated girl is like, that all sucks. What's going on? Why are we here? I want to go home. And Karnak is like, then you might like the grand prize, which is the prize of coming back to life. And everyone's like, hold up a second, we're dead? <laughs> and someone asks, like, oh, how how do we come back to life? And the answer is, the one who wants to win it most shall redeem the loser in order to complete the whole. That doesn't make any sense. My whole job is saying things that don't make any sense until they do. <laughs> he also tells them that in the interest of the expedition of time, he's taken the liberty of choreographing their moves in advance. <laughs> Don't bore us, get to the chorus. Yeah. He also introduces the whole cast and gives them all a catchphrase. Yeah, and it's also kind of like, it's not like body horror, but in the sense of like, these movements and choreography are not our own. Our bodies are Karnak's playthings. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit that like, he stresses, he stresses that they still have their own free will when they're doing stuff. And so it's like, Everything in this realm is about expressing your individuality, but also you will be co-opted to be used as props for when other people are expressing their individuality. Yeah. And uh, you may have noticed that I think in the intro, Tanner said that like there's six, like six teens. (laughs) It's time to introduce the mystery player. A haunted doll! (laughs) This is haunted doll watch. Yeah, this is haunted doll watch. So remember that girl with no head? Yeah, apparently she was found, like, she is also dead. Her body was found in the wreckage of the roller coaster accident, decapitated, and no one knows who she is. <laughs> no one came to claim the body, and they just lumped her in with the rest of the kids because she was wearing the St. Cassius uniform. And, like, the intro- like the, the production that we watched- has this girl who is referred to for most of the plot as Jane Doe. In like, she's got the same like jumper as the other two girls, but it's styled with like big, with like a big puffy long sleeved blouse. So she looks kind of like 19, like, er, like early, like Victorian era ish. Yeah. She, she also is introduced carrying a headless doll. And it is implied both, like, kind of in the production and also on Wikipedia that she replaced her own head with a doll's- that she replaced her lack of a head with a doll's head because her hair and makeup is very haunted doll. She's got these pure pure black contacts that look great. I- see, I- maybe it's because I forgot to turn the video quality up when I was watching this. Maybe it's because I was watching it from, like, five feet away but I couldn't tell <laughs> that she had black contacts in. Yeah. I was like, oh, Haunted Doll Watch. Cool. 
Yeah. So, so that's Jane Doe. A quick rundown of the other cast member or the other characters and their catchphrases. So, the very Rachel Berry type A girl is Ocean O'Connell Rosenberg. Catchphrase: Democracy rocks. And after she says this, she has the expression of "I have never said that once in my life." Then we have Constance Blackwood, who's the like chubby, like shrinking violet-looking girl, whose catchphrase is "Sorry." No, Tanner, it's "Sorry." Sorry. Remember, it's Canada. It's set in Canada! Uh, the gay boy is Noel Gruber, aspiring poet. Being the only gay man in a small rural high school is kind of like having a laptop in the Stone Age. I mean, sure, you can have one, but there's nowhere to plug it in. (laughs) Also, yes, these catchphrases continuously get longer and longer and longer. Yes. Misha Baczynski, a Ukrainian bad boy. My gangster persona is just armor to conceal that I am naked child wandering through the wilderness, holding in my hands my wounded, fragile heart. Mm-hmm. We also get Jane Doe's catchphrase. When a lioness has children, she stops having sex with the lion. The lion gets jealous. Sometimes so jealous he eats the children. You'd think this would upset the lioness. Far from it. They make love like the children never existed. I find that idea terrifying. Yeah, because like... <sighs> As soon as Jane Doe is introduced, like, she immediately starts saying, like, anytime someone makes a rhetorical comment about, like, oh man, that would really be terrifying. And she's like, do you know what I would find terrifying? And then it's always (laughs) some incredibly nihilistic and horrifying shit. And a lot of the times Constance is like, I am going to stand further away from you. I am going to gently remove your hand from my shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> step away. And then Ricky is the uh, disabled kid who was like impl- stated to be have been mute as well have had some manner of degenerative disease that made gave him difficulties walking in in yeah. life. And yeah. now he is oh boy, he's throwing off the disability. And I'll say, you know what? I'm just going to I'm just going to put all the Ricky commentary near the end because <laughs> so that it's yeah. in one centralized place, but just hang on to it. Anyways, so like his original catchphrase in early drafts was apparently level up, but now his catchphrase is, ever since I was six years old, I knew I wasn't long for this world. Unlike the other kids, I was always in a place to face that realm called outer space. Thank you, Lady Marzipan. Thank you, Dame Judy Dench. He says this while referring to his crutches. Yeah. It appears your loyal service is no longer necessary in this stratosphere. Huh. Game on. Yeah. Anyways, Glee, let, let's just say for now that Glee and Ride the Cycle and are holding hands and the caption is, Having weird opinions about people with disabilities. <laughs> yeah, because, like, also there's the fact that, like, the first production of Ride the Cyclone was in 2011. This was absolutely inspired by Glee. <laughs> yeah. We are, we have Artie, we have Kurt, and we have Rachel. Yes. And Ukrainian <laughs> Vaguely, Puck. Vaguely, yeah, Ukrainian Puck. Yeah. And so, like, the overarching, like, structure of this musical is like it's also only a one act musical yeah so it's a it's a neat hour and a half yeah and also it's cats <laughs> it's, re- it's you described cats. it as this last time tanner but it is just reverse cats like it's a contest on who gets to live yeah and so like we get each character gets like one or two like big songs about like why they deserve to live why they want to go back to life and uh ocean is up first also, whenever what yeah, whenever someone like it's their turn, they pull a crank next to Karnak's machine, and like we get pictures of them in life, and Karnak gives a little biography on them. Mm-hmm. So Ocean's biography is that 
she apparently grew up in a very far left uh, hippie family. <laughs> and she's like, well, all of this pot smoking really sucks. <laughs> but then she finds popular music by way of a record of like a boy band or whatever. No, it's it's up with people. I don't know up with people. They're like they're like the most generically poppy pop group from was it the 70s? They're a 501 nonprofit organization. They stage song and dance performances promoting themes such as multiculturalism, racial equality and positive thinking. And it's common believed that there's some kind of cult going on within them. Mm. But yeah. Ocean Song is pretty much just her reading off her resume of why she deserves to go back to life because just like Rachel Berry, she is on every single extracurricular. She has an incredibly high GPA, and Ocean is simultaneously a Buddhist, Catholic, and Jewish. She did her confirmation <laughs> and her bat mitzvah in the same weekend. <laughs> and she is not even bragging about it because that goes against her Buddhist beliefs. Yeah. Also, also like when, when she first starts off, she's like, I had a speech prepared for this occasion, but I simply cannot read it. To which Misha says, how could she have speech? Yeah. And the whole her whole song it like it starts off as like wow, I'm so good. I should go back to life because I'm so good and then it ends up being I should go back to life because I'm the only one who deserves it and everyone else is everyone else is going to end up as dead-end losers in Saskatchewan anyway. What the world needs is people like me. Yeah. And <laughs> she describes herself as a fathermucking hero. <laughs> <laughs> she de yeah, she declares that uh Noah will never breed. Uh, Ricky's gonna die young anyways, Misha's gonna go straight to Dale, Jane does a freaky monster, <laughs> and Constance will end up a lonely organ donor. Yeah. Also, by the way, Constance is Ocean's best friend, allegedly. Yeah. And she ends her song trying to be like, oh, I'm so humble, I'm just saying, like, I'm so humble. So I couldn't, well, also, I simply couldn't ask to be brought back to life. And Karnak is like, okay, cool. You're conceding. Thanks. Next song. <laughs> he, uh, well, she, she says that after her spoken speech. And when he, when Karnak says she's conceding, then she breaks out into song. Mm. And after she spends the whole song humiliating everyone and putting, stacking them all in a human pyramid with her on top, Karnak then mm -hmm. says, by the way, whoever goes back will be decided by unanimous vote. Mm -hmm. And then Ocean goes around to everyone trying to cover her ass and fails. Yeah, she she says she celebrates Misha's culturally ingrained alcoholism. Some of the stuff with Misha is also kind of sus, but more so in hindsight. Yeah. There is a general overlap of like, oh, he's from Ukraine? That's basically Russia, so we'll just use all the Russian stereotypes. So, you know. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. But that, yeah, that's just... We can't really say much on that beyond, uh. Yeah. She also says that she loves Noel because he challenged her preconceived notions that all gays are fun to be around. Yikes. <laughs> and she tells Ricky that she brought him into the choir to help him break out of his shell. And he points out that she also made him get on the roller coaster. Yeah. Uh, and then she does try to, like, do another song to make her case again, and Noel just cuts her off. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, it's my turn to be in the spotlight. And Noel is like, what if Kurt Hummel was emo? What if Kurt Hummel wanted to get tuberculosis and die? Exactly. So it's it's not a modern emo. It's what if Kurt Hummel was a nihilistic French cinema obsessed auteur? Yes. He's also extremely camp gay. <laughs> yes. 
he is there's some gender fluidity that might be going on with noel maybe yeah we don't know yeah. if it's gender or if it's just camp or if it's just drama or a combination of the three Karnak's description of Noel. Early on, his mother realized two things. The second was his penchant for all things nihilistic. Yeah. The the first thing is that Noel just kind of like... If this was a... I bet if we saw a production of this that was happening this year, he would do like the limp wrist thing. Absolutely. Because like the stage direction is probably just like poses gaily. <laughs> uh, he talks about how for Halloween he always wanted to be Lola Lola from the, the movie The Blue Angel. But he always chickened out uh, because mm-hmm. his mother was constantly telling him that he should blend in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he and but he wanted to he wanted to have an, any kind of ecstatic, poetic, destructive life that he got to live. Something dark and tragic and deadly and beautiful and artistic. I was a sexual provocateur and novelist who never wrote a novel or had sex. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also he gets slushied. <laughs> he gets slushied. Noel says something in his monologue about how like. Something about being like the target for Slurpees or something oh, like that. Oh yes, I yes, now I remember that. I forgot to yeah. write that down, but so you're correct. He it also gets like... he gets slushied. It's glee. Yeah, on the on seven eleven, everyone went to the seven eleven to get their free slushies and use them all on him. Yeah. And after Noel says that line about like the novelist who never wrote a novel, they have like part of the scenic design is that like they have a big like digital screen in the background. Which they used this opportunity to put up a picture of presumably his actor in a Taco Bell uniform. Because apparently he worked at the Taco Bell because money was tight. Yeah. And after after he died, Taco Bell names a meal after him and they catered his funeral. And also they play Christina Aguilera's Beautiful on the bagpipes. You know, I think that would be tolerable, maybe. But not for Noel. I only no. said I like that song once, ironically. Well, too late, bud. <laughs> Yeah. And then he like he he says something about like oh like I spent most all of my life just like if I if I'm able to live and go back to life I will I I will have a lot of fun and I will take up my personality Monique Gibeau. Gibeau. Gibeau, excuse me. And this is the part where I wrote in my notes. Does he just do drag or is he trans? All of the above? Because like he he then has this very big like very long <laughs> song about like how I, I forget what it's I think it's just called like Noel's no, Lament. Lament. Yeah. Yeah. And it's basically just like how much he d- desperately wants to be like a he desperately wants to be a sex worker in like eighteen nineties Paris, France. No, no, post war France. Oh, post-war France, excuse me. He wants to be miserable, to have typhoid, and the reiterated chorus is, I want to be that fucked up girl. Yep. And I'm like, huh, there's something you're trying to say here. Yeah, he does also, like, yeah, he he, he rips off his Broadway patented tearaway school uniform to get in, like, a black slip dress and gets, like, the black wig and some heels and does this whole, like, cabaret-style number. Mm-hmm. Ricky plays the accordion in the background, and Noel gets to make out with Misha. Yeah. <laughs> and then afterwards, Misha's super impressed by Noel's performance, and also Ricky playing the squishy keys. <laughs> I like squishy keys. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ocean is like, They said the fuck word! <laughs> <laughs> and then Jane Doe, like, hovers in, Fornication under consent of the king. Yeah. And Constance likes when boys kiss. Yeah. 
And Misha counters, In my country, it's natural for two men to show affection, though not always in heels. Ocean says, Is everyone's song gonna have profanity in the chorus? <laughs> and Misha says, Mine will only have profanity in chorus. Mm-hmm. And then is I think and then Ocean has like a half a song here where she's trying to rationalize their situation because she's like, there has to be a deeper meaning to what we're suffering through here. Well, not even just that, but it's like every story has a lesson. Yeah. And I, I didn't note them all down, but she rattles off a bunch of, bunch of stuff and has really like 80s high school PSA like morals that she got from them. Like, don't drink, don't do drugs, don't have premarital sex, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and then she asks Misha his favorite story, and he says it's Saw 5. And the moral of Saw 5 is how the medical industry is corrupt and unethical and can, can drive even a sick and dying man to do horrible acts. And also you get to see a man cut his own arm off with rusty fire axe. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> that did make me laugh. <laughs> I mean, the part about the medical insurance, not the not yeah. the arm cutting off. <laughs> I mean, they they both work in tandem because no, like uh, Misha is simultaneously like here's here's the thing that seems shallow, just like me, but has a deeper meaning inside. But also sometimes you gotta just see a guy's arm get cut off. Oh yeah! <laughs> and so Ocean's like, okay, Constance, you name a thing, and I'll tell you the meaning of it. And Constance's like, uh uh uh, porn. Yeah. Ocean hates. Yeah, porn. she does. Ocean O'Connor Rosenberg says no kink of pride. Yeah. Glee. <laughs> And then, then Ricky has the counterpoint where he's like, sex is beautiful. It's the origin of life. And it's messed up that we live in a world where we celebrate violence and demonize the act of making love. Porno was magical. Yeah. He says like the, like the story, like the lesson, the story lesson in pornography is like the story of how we all get here or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, sure. Also, sometimes the story in pornography is that if your car gets stuck in the snow, five muscle men will help you get it out. And then you'll all get a big fucking orgy when you get back home. Respectfully abstain. <laughs> One time the story of the porn was that you should respect the autonomy of the genie you found in the bottle. Okay. Because if you do, the genie will be freed. And then you can have sex as much as you want. Tanner, did you watch Aladdin porn? No. Okay. <laughs> Just Honestly, it was more like, um, what was it? I dream of genie porn. Okay. <laughs> I also found a bewitched porn. It was called Betwinked. I mean, I guess that works. <laughs> Anyways, Anyways, where am I? Ocean, O'Connor. Speaking of porn, no. Angriest boy in town. Not quite, because o- Ocean has a moment where she like she tells Constance she's never mad at her; she's just frequently disappointed. Mm-hmm. And then Constance is distracted by the boys kissing. Amisha mentions that it's not cool to be homophobe in rap game no more. Ever since Macklemore dropped same love, that shit emotionally <laughs> devastating, yo. <laughs> and yes, now it's time for the angriest boy in town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Misha's backstory is that he is from Ukraine, and his mom got cancer from working in the uranium mines. No, in the Chernobyl cleanup. Oh, in the Chernobyl cleanup, excuse me. And she knew that she would be unable to take care of him, so she forged his birth certificate to uh, say that he was two years old instead of presumably 18. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like... What's the term for like set like getting someone the adoptive ready? Parents. For- yes, uh, she she put him up for adoption and said that he was two years old and had recently been potty trained, and then when he got to Saskatchewan, his adoptive parents were very alarmed that their expected toddler instead had a five o'clock shadow and a drinking problem. Apparently, 
By which I mean, like, that is the st- that is the stereotype that the narrative is applying to him. Yeah. Anyways, the parents lock him in their basement, basically. Yeah, because, like, also, when Misha got to Saskatchewan, like, he met his adoptive mother and, like, did, like, the, oh, kiss on each cheek thing and then went back in for a kiss on the mouth. Oh, buddy. Yeah. So now he lives in the basement and they, if they see him, they flee. Yeah. So he is just trying to, he's trying to be financially successful so that he can travel back to Ukraine. And he also mentions that he is the best rapper in, what was it, like, Northwest Saskatchewan? Northern Saskatchewan, yeah. Yeah. And he has a fiancé. Yeah. He met his fiancé, Talia, who's from Kiev, who gave him mostly positive feedback in the YouTube comments. Hey, you know what? Sometimes that's all you need, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, he was doing, he was, had a rapping YouTube channel where he was trying to make money so he could move back to Ukraine, and then he died. And so now he's filled with rage. Mm-hmm. And when he <laughs> feels rage, he raps about money and autotune. Yep. And then, yeah, he has like half a song that's like a full autotune thing, just about like his bling and his homies and his swag. He, he, he pulls his shirt open and they, the, the other two flap it so that it's like a fan blowing him. Oh, no, uh... Ocean actually like brings an oscillating fan in oh, and is right. like waving it at the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and like, here's the thing: is like the rapping is not terrible. It's actually pretty decent. Yeah, it gets the job done because this isn't the main song for Misha. This is yeah. what comes right after. Mm-hmm. Because the rage passes, and now all he feels is the passion. And mm-hmm. then an image of Talia appears on the screen behind them, and he just starts singing this really beautiful ballad to Talia but how much he loves her and wishes that they could live their life together. Yeah. And it's like it's in the style of like Ukrainian folk music and everyone has, you know, like a kind of like they put on costumes that I guess evoke traditional Ukrainian dress. Yes. And it's really good. Yeah, and then also like he runs off stage partway through and then we see him run into the digital screen and he reunites with Talia for like a few brief moments. Mm-hmm. And that was really good. It was. And then after the song, Karnak is like, do you want me to tell you what would happen if you came back to life and got to go see Talia? And everyone else is like, oh, maybe not, champ. Yeah. Ocean tries to restate her case, but Noel points out that no one would want to vote for her. And he says, even your best friend hates completely hates you. Yeah. And then Ocean turns to Constance and Constance says, not completely. Yeah. But then Misha and Noel agree to vote for each other because they've been moved by each other's respective songs. Mm-hmm. And Ocean's just pissed off because she's like, "You, no wonder the two of you failed math. If you vote for each other, it's not unanimous. Uh-huh. And then Ocean tries to do a medley of songs to persuade her friends to vote for her. Or her, quote, friends, unquote. Yeah. Uh, and then Karnak is like, no one wants to listen to this shit. And... Fast forwards the play while Ocean is dramatically gesturing and in the background everyone else is like hitting their heads against part of the set. <laughs> and then I forget how this happens or how how this segs into whatever. I think is he next. just fast forwards directly to Ricky's turn. Yes, he does. <laughs> Ricky has a monologue spoken very quickly about how there are no accidents in life. Yeah, he also he he talks about how 
when his knees began to fail, he was subject to complete indifference, and so he he developed an elaborate playground within his mind and became his own best friend, the most imaginative boy in town. And, like, talks about, he's like, I'm here to share my religion of, like, kindness and goodwill to all. But also, my imagination story about how I go to space and have sex with a bunch of cat alien girls. Yeah. Here's the thing, this song, this song is called Space Age Bachelor Man, this song whips. Yeah, I, this is, I'm just going to read my notes here verbatim. Ricky has a very active imagination and dreams. He is a prophet to a planet of aliens evolved from cats. Space Age Bachelor Man lets him fuck cat women? (laughs) He puts on a weird David Bowie-esque Rum Tum Tugger costume. And it, it, it's it really like... is. There's okay. So like, here's the thing though, is that like, so first Noel and Misha come out as just like basic like cat ears and like Devo hats to make them look like aliens, I guess. And they're like, yeah. Ricky, you the only the only thing that can save our species is your super space seed, and so you must have sex with our daughters. And then all the girls come in with cat ears and like, Ricky, you have to sleep with us. And then they go behind the curtains, and there's like the silhouettes of them pawing at each other. Pun. And then Ricky sticks his head out and says, now it gets weird. And then goes back in and there's a moment. And then he comes out dressed as the Rum Tum Tugger from space. Yeah. I was just like, okay. And then the cats go on to say, now that you've like had sex with all of our daughters, you must help us defeat Count Dogulus, the canine son of a bitch. <laughs> and then, but then Ricky convinces them all that he's a lover, not a fighter. And that everyone should just live in peace together. And it works because he sings in ranges that only cats can hear. Yeah, he does. And then at the end of the song, Ricky announces that he concedes. Yeah, because apparently the only commandment in his religion is don't be a dick. And trying to get himself brought back to life would be the most dickish move of all. Mm-hmm. Okay, now let's talk about Ricky real quick. So, yeah. the whole throwing off- okay, so the throwing off the disability thing is not great. No. I could understand some justifications for it, but the fact of the matter is he doesn't need to throw off the disability. And, like, I will say, Ricky is a better character than Artie Abrams. Because Ricky doesn't want to... Ricky is never, oh, woe is me because of his disability. He's already completely accepted it. So I feel like there's no reason for him to throw off the disability beyond making it easier for an able-bodied actor to perform him, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then also, with the sex thing, I mean, listen many disabled people enjoy having sex and a lot yes. of sex yeah. and i think it's very very fair and very good to, for the disabled character to say here's my religion of peace and love and fucking a whole ton i think that's good yeah <laughs> not get into the weeds of bad rep versus good rep but i think it's good rep to say the disabled people can fuck except <laughs> but when Artie is it because just Artie's just kind of like weird in general there's a whole ambiance of Artie's character and looming behind every action that he does <laughs> Yeah. The issue, and also, actually, I don't even mind Ricky conceding because it doesn't feel like a moment of the sacrificial disabled character. Uh, like, in the no, broad scope of the play, it, it more, like, feels like It's Ricky, a sacrifice of a character, not because he is disabled, but because he is making this choice as a person. Yeah, but but also it's like, it, it's, it feels like Ricky does that because he gets it. He gets the situation they're in fully before everyone else does. Because he's had all this time to ponder. And not like, oh, I'm conceding because I'll die soon anyway. But like, he understands what they're there to do, kind of. And so he concedes okay. because he's already figured... He's figured out the meaning of the story already. Because he's had so much time to just think on everything. The meaning of life and all that, whatnot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Now, the, the other issues with Reiki are all production things. For yeah. example, there was a performance that went on at the McCarter Theater, I believe in 2022, last year, and Ricky was played by Yannick Robin Aki Mirko, who was the first disabled person to ever play Ricky Potts, and then he was fired, oh, sorry, they were fired, after having a medical emergency during a performance, and which is, like, already starting <laughs> terribly. Violation of the ADA, I think. <laughs> yeah. But then their able-bodied understudy gets to, got to perform the last three shows as well as go on to the arena performances. And then Yannick Robin also explained that uh, they had experienced ableism from the cast and the crew of this production, including them being referred to as, quote-unquote, the chair, the costume department removing parts of their costume that made it more accessible for them, and discussions about how to accommodate their disability being held without them present. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> Also illegal. Yes, extremely. It's it's wild that they didn't get slammed with a big lawsuit from it. Yeah. And then, like, the depiction was already iffy. So, like, I am not disabled. So anything I've said about what I think is a good thing about Ricky, like, obviously take that with a grain of salt. But, mm-hmm. in like, I, I feel like the main thing is just them being saying, oh, he's not disabled when he's dead anymore, so now anyone can play him. Because that, like runs the issue of, okay, so, but that means you can never really have a disabled character play the the character without doing lots of changes to things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, clearly they were able to have, and clearly Yannick was able to perform for a significant amount of shows, because there were only three shows left when Yannick had to, like, when Yannick had their emergency and then was fired. But yeah, but in response to the, the, the controversy that, like, came to a head after their firing, the, the writers made a new version of the script, and it was like, Oh no, Ricky's not disabled, he just has traumatic mutism, and he gets over it when he dies. Which is hot bullshit, and it's not to say that like, mutism is not a disability, because it is, but mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a very different shape of the disability that Ricky has played with before, and also the fact that it like, completely undermines a lot of the stuff that they were saying with Ricky before. Mm-hmm. And it also, like because they're slotting in one for another, it makes it seem like, oh, well, this is an easier disability, so we don't have to worry about it that much. And we don't have to worry about offending people with that either. Yeah. Among other issues, I'm reading off the wiki, which I imagine is quoting from somewhere else, but it's a fan wiki, so they have no citations. But among other issues, it misrepresents traumatic mutism as a conscious choice and decontextualizes Space Age Bachelor Man and Ricky's heightened abilities. Although Broadway licensing's perusal copy of the Ride the Cyclone libretto uses this new version of the script, the changes to Ricky's character are optional, according to Colby Wardell. The Chance Theater production, which ran concurrently with the Arena Stage production, used the version of the script where Rick- wherein Ricky is still disabled in the original form. Hmm. This is like my. I think the only thing that I can add to what you said, Tanner, is like this is the kind of thing that it's like it would require. A, it would require like rewriting so much of the material, but I think it should be. I think it should be made because this is shitty. Yeah, all around. And it's like in in general, it really shines a light on how like Ali Stroker, as amazing as she is, she's just one girl, and she has like her ability to do amazing on Broadway has unfortunately not translated into accessibility apparently for other people. And I think this means that, like, there need to be more explicitly disabled roles written, like, for Broadway shows that are designed with the disability in mind. So that means no throwing off of the disability. Like, make it, okay, yeah, technically an able-bodied person could play them, but, like, that only really comes up in high schools where you only have so many kids to begin with. And the 
the chances mm-hmm. of like casting a wide enough net to find a person who is disabled and capable of playing the other parts that Ricky would require, which Ricky only really requires you to be able to sing and I guess make some manner of thrusting motion to mime the sex. <laughs> Or hell, they don't even need to talk. Like, it could be a Deaf West situation where it's like, Ricky has a disembodied voice coming out. And it's like, I'm speaking with you telepathically, which honestly fits a lot of the character as well. Yeah, yeah. And then it's just an issue of, hey, make sure you don't treat the disabled person who's technically playing the rest of Ricky as a prop, because they're still an actor too. Uh, and was, the point is. Yeah. The point is, like, if you're if you're writing a stage play, musical, any kind of situation, and you're aiming to get to Broadway, you need to make spaces for disabled people, and then when you have made those spaces, make sure that they are, like, properly accommodated. Yes. So that you don't end up firing them because, oops, your disability disabled you. Yeah. <sighs> the gong showness. If I was writing this, I would make sure that it was fully disabled forever. Always. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm seizing direct control. <laughs> Tanner is playwriting from inside the musical. Yeah. Uh, someone should just make an all wheelchair musical. Like not even, not even some jokey thing. Like, oh, it's Starlight Express, but everyone's a wheelchair user. Like, no, just make an original play where everyone's a wheelchair user. User. They don't have to be wheelchair used. Like, it doesn't have to be about using a wheelchair or any kind of mobility device. It's just coincidentally, everyone in this musical is using a wheelchair. Yeah. What do you know? Like, all of this is to say, like, Ricky's song wraps up where everyone is like, wow, like, you're so cool. Like, we had no idea. And Ricky is like, well, I, I've always been like this, but none of you ever paid attention or listened. And they're like, well, we're gonna listen now, friend. Yeah. And then this moment of camaraderie is interrupted by Jane Doe hovering in from off stage. Yeah. So so Constance says, "I'm so happy right now. I could never come down." And then like and then we see that like a spotlight come up on Jane Doe who is standing next to the lever and like pushes it. And Constance is like, "Oh, come on." And she also goes, "My turn." Yeah. And it's all just like Information unknown. Information unknown. We don't know who this haunted doll is. <laughs> yeah, they're like, everyone knew everyone in Uranium, but no one could recall this member of the choir. Uh, there are rumors of a girl who joined at the last minute, but as the choir conductor died of a heart attack seven hours after the accident, there was no one left to verify. Some believe she was never in the choir at all, and Karnak never read her fortune. All he knows for certain is that a body was found in Saint in a St. Cassian uniform without a head. Yeah... And then she goes into a very beautiful lament. Yeah, it's it's very pretty. And then like halfway through it, it shifts to being more kind of like a, a vaudevillian tone, I guess you could call it. It's like one part vaudevillian, but there's also very much like a sense of a funeral dirge. And the whole thing is about like, so everyone's singing about their past and their hopes and dreams and who they are. And Jane Doe's whole, Jane Doe's whole thing is like, I don't know who I am. I have no memories. No one came for me. I don't know what I want. I don't know what I had. Mm-hmm. And that sucks, bro. Yeah. And like, it's about when, it's about when like the tone, like the, like the tone of the song shifts that like she starts doing aerial stunts (laughs) like there is like some kind of like a light up like there's like light up wheels or like umbrellas that are being spun around she is lifted into the air on a harness and does a cartwheel in the middle of the air (laughs) and i'm just like this production has the budget for aerial stunts one aerial stunt one aerial stunt 
Odds are, I feel like when that sort of thing happens, it's like the theater already is set up for aerial stuff. It's like they probably would have done something else if they didn't already have the like necessities on hand. Yeah. Like I don't, yeah, I don't think they have the budget to bring and set up an aerial stunt for themselves, but they had the budget to like go to a theater that just so happened to already have it set up. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, and like at the end of her song, Jane Doe was like, "Yeah, my life sucks because I I don't know what my life was like." She doesn't even know her birthday. Yeah, and then the other kids come up and they like put this very like over the garden wall esque like birthday hat and cape on her. And they sing happy birthday to her with a cup- with, like, the Hello Kitty cupcake and a candle. So that today can be her birthday. And at one point she asks, how do you know today's my birthday? And they're like, how do we know it's not? Gotcha! (laughs) Affectionate. Yeah. Also, Ricky says that Jane Doe could be named Savannah. And so he says it as, like, it's a name I've been saving up, but you can use it. Because I guess everything else in my brain is going, going, gone by midnight. Mm-hmm. And this has led to several fan interpretations that Ricky is also trans. Hey, you know what? Go for it. Ex- absolutely. And then it's a really cute moment, and Jane Doe's like, really? I can be Savannah? And can Savannah have the greenest eyes? And he's like, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, and then while this is happening, Misha shares some vodka with Noel, and uh, tells Noel that like, hey, chin up, bro. You died young in a fiery accident. Your life was still tragic. And Misha's like, uh, or Noelle goes, oh my gosh, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. Thank you. Also, thank you for making out with me. Uh-huh. He's like, and now I've, and now I've kissed a boy and gotten drunk. Yeah. There is, a, there is an undercurrent where it's like, yes, Misha is like completely in love and devoted to Talia. But she's also kind of into the fact that you got to make out with Noelle. <laughs> and then, oh, because Ocean was the one who like kicked off the birthday thing. Constance mm-hmm. tells her that it was really nice of her to do that, and she says it would be only it would only be the right thing for everyone to vote for Jane Doe to come back, but Ocean can't bring herself to do so. Uh huh. And then she's like, "I was so envious of you, Constance, because I was always working towards something, and you just accepted the garbage, shitty, stupid, boring, lame ass life that you had." Yeah, and uh, Constance punches her in the tit. <laughs> Oh, oh, so there's a brief exchange before that where Ocean's like, I'm sorry, my death has really affected me. And Constance says, yes, me too. And Ocean, naturally my death has affected you. Can't you just listen for once and not make it all about yourself? And then we get the titty punch. Yes. Then she says, you just punched me in my freaking boob. (laughs) It's like, yes, go for it. More productions need to be comfortable with, with punching people in the boob. It does hurt a lot. <laughs> All media needs to have be comfortable punching people in the boob. Agreed. Uh, and this is the point at which we get Constance's big solo song. Well, oh, we get her we get her backstory first, which is dark. Yeah, it's But it's also really good because of the way the actress plays it. Yeah, it's very well it's very well acted. I only have like broad strokes note about notes about this, but Constance's backstory is basically like her family has very, very long-lasting ties to Uranium City. Like, they have been- they they own a diner that has apparently been in operation since the town was established, since the Uranium Mine opened up. And so Constance and her whole family are very well known around town, but pretty much all anyone ever says or knows about Constance is that she is the nicest girl in town. Mm-hmm. And- she has a lot of 
self-loathing about the fact that all anyone ever thinks of her is that she's nice. <laughs> like, no one ever is like, how are you doing, Constance? <laughs> and she concludes, or she mentions that, like, three hours prior to getting on the roller coaster, she lost her virginity to a carny in a porta potty. <laughs> and it was terrible, but she, like, wanted to, like, get it over with or something like that. <laughs> Well, so first she says she wanted to get it over with, and then she says that she wanted it to just be a miserable experience. Like, she was basically like, it's time for me to be a, start a self-destructive spiral, because I'm always ashamed of everything that I am. Yeah. Oh, also, in her, like, intro spiel, uh, Karnak mentions that Constance's favorite ride at the fair is the Cyclone. <laughs> yes. Oh! <laughs> well, but we're we're getting into that. Mm-hmm. Because she talks about how as the ride crashed, she was got caught up in the excitement and the adrenaline of it all. And all of a sudden she felt her heart fill up with all the love for everything. Everything good that ever happened to her happened in Uranium City. And she lists like her parents and her family and her friends and like even the things that felt like they hurt and made her happy because they happened to her. Mm -hmm. Then she gets her big song, which starts as like a sort of reprise of like the melody from the Uranium Suite. And then goes into like this like kind of 60s rocky number again she's very tracy turnbad coded uh-huh yeah and yeah it's called sugar cloud and she celebrates how much she loves everything she had and everybody that she knew mm-hmm. and at the end of it ocean is like oh I've, i think i maybe get things now yeah and like they make up and it's fun and then karnak announces that ocean gets the only vote because she had the highest gpa yeah <laughs> karnak is like i changed my mind and like as Karnak is saying, like, Ocean, you did the best in school, so now you're the only one who gets to vote. And, like, the other side portal opens up behind them. And Ocean is like, uh, can't we just reinstate the democracy that we had previously? And Karnak is like, no, I'm going to die in five minutes. You have to decide before then. Yeah. And then she's like, okay, what was the prophecy? Whoever wants to win it the most shall redeem the loser in order to complete the whole. And then she realizes that Karnak knew all along she would never be able to vote for herself anyways. So she apologizes to the others for not getting to know them in life, and says that for someone to die young is not for them to die needlessly. I would gladly take my 17 years over nothing. So then she votes for Jane Doe, because she doesn't have those memories. We had a life, she didn't. Mm -hmm. So it's ambiguous as to whether it was actually required a unanimous no vote or not at the end, but everyone agrees with her choice. Yeah. And so Jane Doe gets to go through the portal. Democracy rocks. Mm -hmm. And as Jane is approaching the the portal, the Karnak says something about like I forget. I I don't have the in, like the introduction part. Her name down. is Penny Lamb. April seventh. Aries, the lucky nature. Yeah, and then like I think this part of the this part is called like the other side, and they all just kind of like. Everyone else who's left just kind of vocalizes over a bunch of, like, home movie footage of someone who is implied to be Penny Lamb, like, growing up and being generally happy. Yeah, and it's it's also left ambiguous whether, like, okay, so time was rewritten and she survived the crash, or she was reincarnated and got to live a new life. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so they sing, it's not a game, maybe that's news, because no one will win here and no one can lose. There's no one to measure our foolish pride, and no one keeps score of how hard we tried. This ride it has heartbreak, this ride it has pain, all kinds of blue skies, no shortage of rain. 
Yes, there is laughter and the telling of lies, and maybe in darkness we open our eyes. And you give and choose while you love and lose, and you feel the world is spinning with no ending or beginning. And then we have an, like, an interlude from Karnak. What happens next? That I couldn't possibly tell you. But I will say this. After reading Thousands of Human Fortunes, my final insight is... And then he dies. <laughs> yeah. Virgil the Rat finishes his life's work of chewing through the power cables, connecting Karnak, connecting the amazing Karnak to electricity. The stage plunges into darkness and the audio is overtaken by general electric fizzing noises. <laughs> yeah, and like the broken, like the broken voice backs of Karnak just spits out, Your lucky number is seven. You will soar to great heights. Be sure to ride the cyclone. Yeah. And then it's left with just, like, the the teenagers stuck together on a mostly dark stage. (laughs) Yeah, but they get back on the cyclone and they celebrate the lives that they live and the friends that they finally got to be for each other. It's everything you loved and everything you dreamed and everything you shared and everything that seems so oh-terrifying. But it's not a game. It's not a game. It's just a ride. Yeah. Eternal roller coaster ride. Well, I would like to interpret it that they also got to pass on, whether that's to a proper heaven or a reincarnation or something, because it was like the y- y- they got closure. So here's the thing: aside from the parts I said were kind of really bad, I enjoyed this musical quite a bit from a big picture. Yeah, it's like the like the musical ends with like the teenagers all like reenacting their final roller coaster ride, and like the portal to the other side opens up again as they're pretending to do the roller coaster but then the light changes so it's yellow instead of blue and it's like i don't understand this it's not like i would so like (laughs) the ending itself isn't clear but also the ending itself isn't the point because what they what they're talking about what the message ultimately is is that life's not a game that you win it's just a ride that you enjoy it's the journey not the destination Mm -hmm. and it's also like again from the broader point like the the purpose of the limbo was essentially to give all these kids a chance to do all the things that they did want to do in life and never got to. So, like, Noel got to die tragically and kiss a boy and be a, a fucked up French girl. Constance got to reaffirm how much she loves her friends in her hometown. Misha got his moments with Talia. Ricky got to express his, like, inner religion and also fuck a bunch of cat girls. <laughs> yeah. Which was less important than the fact that he got to experience his dreams in a more tangible way. Mm-hmm. And Ocean, for all of her, like, type A griping, she gets to change the world because she's the one who declares Jane Doe lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, ultimately I liked it. I think Space Age Bachelor Man is the best song. Runner-up is It's Not a Game, It's Just a Ride. Yeah. Ultimately, I thought it was fine. <laughs> and I think that's okay. <laughs> Christina closing her computer after watching it. That was mid. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also just like in the world, in the internet culture where so many things are like, you can only vitriolically enjoy something or vitriolically hate it. Like, I think it's important to just be like, yeah, like this was fine. I didn't get a whole lot out of it, like philosophically, but that's not but that's not bad and that doesn't make my experience viewing this any less valid and doesn't make your experience any more valid they're both valid yay we're all valid here (laughs) yeah no i i am quite often i appreciate stories about death and how death is okay Mm -hmm. you know me you when i get those bouts of nihilism (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
sometimes they're like nothing has meaning and then there's a story that's like but nothing has to have meaning because the existing is meaning itself any life that was lived was a life worth living mm-hmm. i'm just nodding along over here <laughs> okay See, I'm wired because I've had like eight apples today and <laughs> I have just like an anti-doctor force field around myself. <laughs> I think my I think my coffee wore off about halfway through talking about this. <laughs> Damn, you should eat an apple. See, that's the thing is uh, in my crock pot, I currently have going a chicken and sweet potato and apple and onion and cranberry. I've seen this kind of dish being called a slop. It's, is it like a, it's like a goulash? I guess kind of. It's just a whole lot of ingredients that are going to get cooked together and they're going to be very autumnal and I will have it with rice. That's That sounds awesome. Can we just say that apples are like an honorary root vegetable? <laughs> How so? Well, just because they fit in so well with all the other root vegetables. I mean, the French name for a potato is pomme de terre. Yes, which implies it's also a pomme de flamme. <laughs> pomme de you. <laughs> And pomme de air. I don't know what the French word for air is. Me either. I took Spanish, not French. O? Pomme de O? Pomme de O. That's the, the award that they give out when people make a film. But you can't make any films right now because acting is illegal still. So let's wrap <laughs> this episode up by saying that, hey, support the, continue supporting the SIG after strike. The, remember last time when we said, look, maybe things will wrap up soon. And then the entire MPTP was like, no, actually they won't. And then they, they didn't. <laughs> they didn't. And the whole MPTP was like, hey, what if not only did things not wrap up soon, but we tried the same goal, the same methods that we already know don't work with the WGA and we tried them on the SAG-AFTRA. Yeah. The upside is that like the WGA strike did finish and they got all of their stuff, which is awesome. And it does mean that they can start writing now and so things will be ready when SAG-AFTRA finishes. And also the mm-hmm. SAG-AFTRA actors is probably a, a, like a skosh easier for them to make money because there's like a lot more loopholes you can go through. With, like with the writers, it's just like you cannot write. But with the actors, like you cannot act in these specific productions. And so there are ways for them to get around that. Yeah, like working on a non-struck production or for a non-struck company like A24. Yeah. Yeah, so like, I'm not going to say, oh, everything's fine now, but I'm going to say like, it, it really does feel like, even though the AMTPP, again, continues to be fucking monsters, mm-hmm. it feels like we're in the home stretch. And so we're being optimistic with that, but we're also planning ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which means that we're, we're going to take some time off because on our usual recording days, we're going to be recording stuff for Christina's other podcast, The Home for Wayward OCs. Y'all should go listen to that. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And it it's not connected with current events necessarily, which means that like you can listen to it in any order. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as, as long as we're talking about other projects, I would like to personally give a shout out to a podcast that I am on and that Tanner is helping out with behind the scenes and giving input for Binary Break, which is a Digimon actual play podcast. And I think it's cool. And we've recorded some really cool stuff for it that y'all will hear in like six to eight months because episodes are monthly. But they're also... A tolerable length of actual play episode, which I think is a crowning achievement in and of itself. Hell yeah. Speaking of tolerably tolerably length actual play episodes, um, y'all should go listen to the podcast series Eidolon Playtest, which has just wrapped up its third seasons. Former guest of the show, Fabi, is a main cast member on Eidolon, and it's a really good show, and it's a really good game that they play on there. And hey, maybe that game will show up on this podcast soon. Mayhap. Who can Perhaps. 
Anyways, I sorry, Christina, do you, get, do you can do the official wrap-up spiel. Yeah, I was burping, and now I'll do the wrap-up spiel. <laughs> do the wrap-up spiel in burp. Oh my god, Tanner, I would die. Okay, well then don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I will not be dying today. I mean, it wouldn't, we've established that it would not be a meaningless death, but also, like, it's an avoidable one, so maybe don't. Yeah. Loser Like Me is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. We can be heard on your podcasting platform of choice, and if we aren't there, let us know and we'll work on getting there. We can also be heard, or we can be found at Loser Like Me Pod on Twitter, at LoserLikeMePod at gmail.com, uh, and on Tumblr at Corner Podcast Network. And hopefully soon we will be on Blue Sky, aka when Tanner and I have time to handle more social media. <laughs> Yeah, uh, tr- truly. I detach myself from social media and I just like, so the the downside is that I'd, sometimes I have no idea what my friends are doing, but the upside yeah. is that I'm no longer on social media and it's so freeing. Yes, I agree. I hadn't booted up my computer in two days because Friday I was trying to finish my costume for the Renaissance Festival and then Saturday I was at the Renaissance Festival and then doing grocery shopping and then watching Ride the Cyclone and I didn't have time. To turn on my computer, and it was freaking. Yeah. But also, I, n- not a dig, Christina, but I can't see how you would notice a difference between your previous social media habits and not going on social media, because I'm pretty sure you were already reading yourself off, and it was like, Christina goes on Twitter once a week, retweets three things, and then leaves again. <laughs> and we're also proud of her for doing so. And schedules posts. <laughs> that is like, that is like the one thing I wish for Blue Sky. I wish Blue Sky would let you schedule posts without using Buffer. I mean, it'll probably be on the way, because remember, they're still in their early days. Technically, they're still in beta. I don't even think they have GIFs yet. They don't, which is a shame. They don't support video yet, either. Yeah, but that's just the thing. Like, they're working on it. They gotta get there. Oh, yeah. I know. Plus, (laughs) with how infrequently I check social media, maybe it'll be on the next time I'm on there. Mayhaps. Anyway, uh, we also have our own Discord server for the Corner Podcast Network shows. And the invite to that should be on social media. If it's not, just let us know and one of us will get you an invite. The invite should also still be working, the one that's in the podcast description. Ah, okay, cool. Next time, Christina needs to get some get some surveys sent out for scheduling hey. things. <laughs> yeah. But until then, okay, now here's an idea. I'm going to say your lucky number is seven. You can say you will soar to great heights and then we'll both say ride the cyclone. Okay. Or wait, how? let me double check to make sure it's the right thing. Your lucky number is seven. You will soar to new heights. Be sure to ride the cyclone. Okay. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, so until next time, your lucky number is seven. You will soar to new heights. Be, Be sure, sure to, to ride, ride the, cyclone. the cyclone. It's just a ride.